0: Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon, here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To
1: get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course, with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Welcome to the shrink think podcast. We have an exciting show for you today. It's really exciting for us and we're excited about his new book. So that's why we're interviewing him today. We have a guest who has had a tremendous influence on many people in the world for various reasons, um, particularly therapists who are starting and growing and scaling a practice for uh, business owners out there. And for podcasters or people who want to own podcasts, and that's exactly how Nathan and I found him. So we want to introduce you to Joe Sanok, who has a new book being released that's uh, just come out. He's the author of Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. This book examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity. Joe has been featured on Forbes, Good Magazine, and the Smart Passive Income Podcast. He's the host of the popular uh, podcast, The Practice of the Practice Podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide. Let that sink in. With over 100,000 downloads every month. Best-selling authors, experts, scholars, and business leaders, and innovators are featured and interviewed and the 550 plus podcasts he's done over the last six years. That's amazing. Let's jump right into it. We're, we're excited to have him on here and we hope you enjoy our interview with Joe Sanok. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Tell us a bit about how the work week all got started as we know it. And it sounds like you're kind of trying to blow that up here.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. A lot of people are talking about the four-day work week now. And it's it's I'm so excited to be a part of this conversation. Uh, so when I first started working on Thursday as the new Friday, my new book, um, uh, one of the questions that I hadn't even kind of put into my pitch uh to HarperCollins was, you know, how did we even get here? Um and so I started diving into just some of the research and um some of the history around our work week and even where we got the week. Um, uh, because in nature, You know, it makes sense. The earth goes around, the sun, you know, that takes a year. It revolves, that's a day. But in nature, there's not really anything that's seven days. And so I asked myself, like, where did that seven days come from? And if you look back several thousand years, it was actually the Babylonians that made up the seven-day week. Uh, They could see the sun, the moon, Earth, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And those were the seven brightest kind of things in the sky. And they said, well, we should have a seven-day week. Uh, You know, the Egyptians, they had an eight-day week. Romans had a 10 day week. So right from the beginning of kind of working on this book was, wait, we, we made this up. Like we made all of this up. Um, it, it's crazy that, you know, we just as easily could have had 73 weeks in a year that were five days each. Like that, that's just as much of a possibility. So starting with things that feel very normal to me, a seven day week, um, maybe aren't necessary was a great place to start. Uh, and then when I started to look at the 40 hour week, I, I was like, where did that really come from? And in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. That was just the norm for most people. Wow, and then in wow. 1926, Henry Ford switched to the 40 hour work week to just sell more cars to his people, basically.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so he sounds like Henry Ford just kind of was like, wow, I'm I'm working my people to death here. We'll try to make this a little easier. Yeah.
2: You know, I mean, there's a really strong workers movement happening about 30 years before Henry Ford. The Haymarket bombing in Chicago is a really interesting story that I talk about in the book where uh, these workers that had been brought in from Europe um, to help rebuild Chicago after the fire um, were working more and getting paid less than uh, they they were back in Europe. And so they're like rebuilding Chicago and they started striking and uh, there's a bunch of controversy over this one bomb that was thrown if the police threw it if one of the workers threw it and it caused this nationwide lockdown where they thought that workers around the the nation were going to want you know less time to work and so that's actually where we get May Day was from that haymarket bombing um and from just the workers kind of standing up and there being some at least negotiations that happened but none of them stuck until henry ford 30 years later in may of 1926 almost exactly 30 years after the haymarket bombing um, announces this 40 hour week. And then it's like when people start buying in at the top level of power, this thing that we now think of as again, being something we know, uh, the 40 hour work week working five days a week. Um, it's relatively new for humanity. It's it's less than a hundred years old, but for most of us, we feel like, oh yeah, that's just how it's always been, but it hasn't been again. We made
1: it up. Yeah. That's so interesting. We just have accepted it apparently as like, this is just what we do. And we haven't really ever questioned, well, is this even a good idea or is this like the most effective way of doing things? I know a lot of companies with the whole COVID stuff that's happened in the last year and a half or so, they've shifted some of how they do things to like a four-day work week or people are slowing down some of their productivity because, or they're slowing down in how they do things partly because that was kind of what was required. And they're seeing actually that some of that productivity is improving and you argue in your book, Thursday is a New Friday, that slowing down uh, boosts productivity as well. Can you tell us more about some of the research that you've done on that and give us some case examples?
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think we have accepted the 40 hour work week, but then when you actually look what Fridays are, they're, they're a half worked, a half lived day. You know, people are planning for the weekend. It might be when they throw a birthday party or maybe a baby shower for somebody. You know, Friday has been having an affair with uh, the weekend for a long time and it's time to just call it <laughs> what it is, you know, like, all right, okay. Friday it's has moved secret. on. It's a dirty, dirty secret. <laughs> but it's, it's, what's really interesting is a lot of the people that still have that Henry Ford industrialist mindset um, they're like well if we cut out 20% of the work we're gonna lose 20% of the productivity and we just don't see that I mean the Iceland study that just came out you know a few weeks before this recording you know for years looked at 2500 people that they had on a four-day work week and surprise surprise uh, they had better productivity they had better health outcomes they were happier um, and in multiple industries not just in like entrepreneurs uh, in multiple industries um, and we see this kind of across the board that when people allow their brains to slow down um, and to genuinely kind of recuperate and do that first and say, how do I best optimize my brain for the work week? Then they can absolutely kill it once they get to work. Uh, we saw this all the time at Slow Down School. So I host this event in the summer called Slow Down School where entrepreneurs fly into northern Michigan. We pick them up in a big yellow school bus and hang out on the waters of Lake Michigan. And for two and a half days, we say, turn off your phones, like have automation set up for someone to answer your phones. You can pull it out to ta- take pictures, but let's genuinely slow down. So there's some very firm boundaries around that. And we bring in an executive chef that has partnerships with local farmers. So you know, for two days, we're hiking. We, we do yoga. Uh, we bring in... A massage therapist and it's just this amazing time to just calm down and slow down uh, and the first day is usually hard for most people they feel like oh i'm with all these other cool people i want to talk business and do this and this and this and and then the next day it's like just the film is lifted uh, and what i've seen happen on that wednesday thursday and friday is like there's this guy, Michael Glavin um, from Chicago, who has this great approach to um, kind of working with couples. And, you know, he had been in a mastermind group and was working on a book and it just was taking forever. And um, he was discouraged. And it was like, why are you in this mastermind group? And in the first 20 minute sprint, he sketched out the first nine chapters of his book. It was like his brain was just ready to kill it because he had slowed down. He had eliminated those distractions. Uh, And when we look at the research, we see that the brain can pay attention on a deeper level even when we have micro moments uh, that that help us to re kind of recalibrate our brains
0: yeah you know what i'm reflecting on as you're as you're talking through this is i think when if i back up 10 or 15 years i was thinking about how everybody was kind of focused on trying to improve the quality time of your rest by making it rest essentially more efficient and what you're saying as well that's great, but you also have to respect the quantity.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that when we look at the typical weekend, how most people live it, you know, they, they've worked hard all week and then they've had their kids at soccer practice. They've barely got groceries. And, and the weekend is really about numbing out oftentimes. You know, it, it could be that you're drinking more than you should. You're eating crappy food. You're not getting enough sleep because you're like, finally, I don't have to work. I want to make the most of this weekend. And then You're exhausted going into Monday morning, and you're not going to do your best and most creative work with that kind of brain. And so even being able to to step back, uh, there was a University of Illinois study on uh, vigilance decrement, uh, vigilance, how well we pay attention to something, and decrement, meaning that it breaks down over time. So the idea that they were challenging was that we get kind of a cup of energy for the day, and once it's poured out, we're done. Uh, And they were trying to look at, well, what actually happens here? Um, and so they had these students come in and do a super boring thing where they got a four digit number. Whenever that four digit number came up on a screen, they pushed a button. Other four-digit numbers came up, and they saw vigilance decrement after about 60 minutes of this, uh, where they didn't pay attention as well at the end of the study as they did at the beginning. So they then took a second group, as you do in research, uh, and that second group, at the one-third mark, they interrupted and said, you know, go take a one-minute break. We put you on the wrong computer or something like that. Uh, They take a one-minute break. They're not on screens, maybe just sitting in the lobby. And then they came back and did another third of the study and gave them another one minute break. And they found that there was zero vigilance decrement with just two one minute breaks over an hour period of time. So why does that work? Well, you think from a just evolutionary standpoint, when you're in a new situation, your brain needs to pay attention. So even that one micro break reset the brain enough to say, okay, now it's time to re-engage with this activity in a different way.
1: Interesting. So it's, it sounds like it's, it's kind of reversing the order of how we do things as opposed to looking at everything that needs to get done, which in this day and age is like a never ending list. You know, you go home on Friday and you're like, okay, I hope I got everything done. But it really was just a stopping point for for the work so that you could take a break for the weekend. Instead, it sounds like what you're saying is, no, you need to pay attention to your energy levels and your output and notice like when those are going down and take care of those things, it's more like an internal focus as opposed to like an external what-needs-to-get-done sort of a focus?
2: Yeah, so I think within the work, there's ways that you can optimize that. And then outside of the work, there's ways that you can allow your brain to genuinely reset. Um, and typically in the kind of self-development world, there's books about productivity and business and killing it, or there's books on meditation and relaxation and allowing your brain to just see the Zen of the universe or whatever the book is. Um, But what I'm trying to do is to say that for us to do both those sides, they need to work together. They need to be in harmony with each other. So when you are working, how do you best do that by knowing how to sprint in a way that it actually works for you? Instead of just saying, everyone should sprint this way, there's actually some sprint types Uh, that within the work we do, we can set up a setting that triggers our brain in a different way. So for example, on writing days for me, I had different light in my office. I had Bose headphones on with a playlist I only listened to while I was writing. I never looked at the news or my texts or anything before I started writing. So my brain was clear, it was clean. It wasn't you know having anything bombarding me. The environment said to my brain, it's time to write like heck, let's go crazy. The lighting triggered that. I sat in a different spot. So all these little things in your work can help you have your sprints go better. But then when you're actually slowing down before that, Doing that in a way that just optimizes your brain as you enter into that work and setting hard and soft boundaries can then make it that you get so much more done in your higher purpose when you're actually doing the work.
0: That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of research that's kind of shown over, over the years about how your environment affects what's going on and how you can re- reproduce different things based on the consistency of your environment. In, the, uh, in, the, in your book, Thursday's the New Friday, you discuss three internal inclinations. Will you walk us through some of that?
2: Yeah. So there's three internal inclinations that top entrepreneurs uh, and successful business people um, tend to value naturally. Um, and so there's a whole assessment people can take in the book um, that goes through these three internal inclinations. And so the goal isn't to say, oh, you don't have this, so you shouldn't you know, be an entrepreneur. It's that we all need to say, okay, how can I be the best version of myself? And what comes naturally for me? What needs a little bit of work? So the first one is curiosity. And so in curiosity, what we want to think about is how, you know, oftentimes we want this Eureka moment or this aha moment. Uh, But really the best thing we can do is we can say, well, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I have a six-year-old and a 10-year-old and they love nature and being in national parks and paddle boarding. And so we went for a paddle the other day and, you know, one of my daughters saw the biggest turtle she's ever seen. And then she's really interested in turtles. She's like, that's interesting. I didn't need to pull out a science book about turtles to try to get her to want to learn about turtles. You know, she was just curious. There's that. We all had that as kids and somewhere along the lines, we kind of lost some of that. Uh, and part of that's the narrative we get. Uh, you know, In the book, I talk about curiosity killed the cat that in, I think it was 1910, the Washington Post headline said, curiosity killed the cat. And there was this national story about a cat stuck in a chimney that ended up dying So what's the narrative we get from that? If you're curious, you are going to die. If you go into that dark alley, that's dangerous. Don't go into places you don't know. And that's something that we hear, but then the top performers haven't had that kind of built into them as much. Uh, So we have curiosity. Um, Number two is having an outsider's perspective. Um, You think about people like Einstein or Elon Musk or other folks that are top performers, Most of them have either come from another country, lived in multiple countries, um, have moved out of their regions, have some sort of really unique perspective where they can have an outsider's perspective. There was actually a uh, research project I talked about in there um, that was called the Color Study. And they found that outsiders statistically have a larger influence on people than insiders and statistically more than what they should have. So they did this study where uh, they had people in a room that they looked at a color like green or blue and different shades of that. Is this green? Is this blue? blue? And they're in this group. Um, and you know most people agree on it. Uh, then they brought in some outsiders that uh, were part of the research study. And when one was a little closer to green or blue, they would argue for the wrong color. And they found that they had undue influence over that group um, just by being someone that spoke up against kind of the norm. Uh, And there's many studies that also kind of um, show that that outsider perspective can be extremely helpful in in thinking differently. And then the third one is the ability to move on it. Um, There's always this tension between speed and accuracy. Um, You know, uh, we're taught in grad school, write a paper, refine it, take it to the writing lab, and then finally turn it in and it's supposed to be perfect. And then you get graded on it. But that's really not how the adult world works. We can adjust. We can change. We can switch it. uh, I want things to be perfect if it's brain surgery or if it's you know, some, anyone cutting me open. I want them to be very accurate. But most situations, speed is going to be more important and better for a business uh, than, than the accuracy side of it.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. Curiosity, um, speed, and what was the middle one again?
2: Yeah, so it's curiosity, outsider perspective, and the ability to move on it.
1: What are, are there any practical ways you talk about in your book that people can uh, foster these?
2: Yeah. So actually when you take the assessment, um, it it tells you which which ones come naturally for you and then what to do, and then um, which ones for you need a little bit of work. And so it actually looks at first, does is this an internal inclination that comes naturally? Um, secondly, uh, do you have habits that support it? And then third, what are you doing um, to actually take action on that? So it looks at the habits you've already established, but then also the actions that you could take. And so you're able to then get this whole readout uh, that then gives you uh, advice based on your particular uh, kind of formulation of the three. And, and so, take curiosity, for example, uh, just putting yourself in situations that are not normal for you. And most of the time, we choose to do the same things. We go to the same five or 10 restaurants. Uh, we tend to hang out with the same five or 10 friends. Uh, we tend to go to the five or 10 beaches or mountains that we enjoy climbing. Um, but finding things that just push our curiosity. I mean, that's why kids are so good at curiosity they have no idea what's normal in the world and what's not. You know, I mean, if something happens and it's a, the first time they've seen a car accident, for example, they don't know what to do with that. And, and so that, that better allows us if we're putting ourselves into situations to find curiosity. Um, and kind of each of the three internal inclinations, there's, there's lots of tips that I can go into if you want me to go deeper.
1: That's awesome. No, I, I love that there's an assessment there. I'm, you, you've piqued my curiosity for like, yeah, what are my inclinations and what, how am I setting myself up to do well. And also like, where, what are my areas of growth? So I love that you have it in the book.
0: Yeah, you discuss, you know, the methods of getting more done essentially faster. And I'm wondering if for our audience, if there's maybe some quick successful thing that that they might be able to try that you could give them some advice on maybe trying literally later today after they hear this besides
1: go get the go order the book <laughs> and learn everything there's to know about it.
2: sure i mean no. so i, I walked through this thing that it's called um the the first uh so we we talk about um the low-hanging fruit inflect uh reinvest specialize, time limit and then looking at your sprint types so I, one of those i want to talk about is your sprint types because i think that that's something that is most helpful right now for people So, we often hear in business books or in productivity books, you know, time block, take 20 minutes, just kill it and go crazy. But for a lot of people, it's like, well, that doesn't work for me. And they think then that. They, they aren't someone that can sprint. They aren't someone that can get a lot done in a short period of time. And, and the problem is, is that we actually have particular sprint types. Uh, and there's two, if we think about an XY axis, there's, there's two X, XI, axes, um, w- when we're looking at this. So one is, do you tend to fall more on the time block side or on the task switcher side? So a time blocker is someone like myself that on a Thursday, you know, from April until August of 2020, I was working on my book for that whole time. And so I, I'm focused on one task during this big chunk of time. So that's a time blocker. And the other side is a task switcher. So a task switcher is someone that needs that variety. So they may do a 20-minute sprint doing one thing, a 20-minute sprint doing something else, a 20-minute sprint kind of switching it up, and then maybe coming back to the original thing. They need that variety. Now, within a time block, you can have some of that variety. So there were some days that I was doing more research than writing. There were other days that I was maybe reading through some things I had printed out and kind of brainstorming. Um, But it still is within that time block. So first you figure out, are you more of a time blocker or more of a task switcher? And then the second axis is, are you more of an automated sprinter or an intensive sprinter? So an automated sprinter is someone that will put that time in their calendar and have it repeat every single week. So that's what I did with writing the book, that every Thursday, was my time block automation. So I was a time block sprinter that was also automated. And so it's a particular time that just repeats. Um, On the other side are people that are more intensive sprinters. So Dr. Jeremy Sharp, who has the Testing Psychologist podcast, I spotlight in the book what he does where he gets an Airbnb, it's in a different city, um, he has all these requirements. He has this whole checklist. Like it has to be walking distance from a vegan restaurant. Uh, it has to have some sort of outdoor space. Um, it has to be, uh, like it's, it's crazy. And he goes away for like four days and gets tons done at this intensive. Yeah. And so when, when you figure that out, uh, you, you know, in the book, I talk about how you test that and try it out in different ways, but it's like you try out the different sprint types. And then from there, now, you know how to actually use that time in a way Rather than feeling like, oh, man, I guess I'm not a sprinter like most people do when they read the typical self-help book.
1: I love that. And, you know, it's really, again, it's piquing my interest more of like I got to learn what all these other ones are. Learn my type. Tell us when does your when does this book come out and where can we get it?
2: Yeah. So October 5th, uh, the book is, that's when it's going to be shipped. Uh, You can uh, pre-order it starting right now. Uh, If you get five of them uh, by, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but before that October 5th, um, you get a free ticket to Killing It Camp, which is an event that I put on in Colorado. Um, And so you would just purchase it wherever you want and then just submit your receipt over at thursdayisthenewfriday.com. And then from there, you're going to have your life changed.
1: Awesome. Joe, thank you so much for um, putting in the time and the research, the effort to investigate this. Really, I, I think to kind of expose what we've been doing as like, why are we doing this? What's, where did this even come from? And is there a better way? I'm definitely going to check this book out. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to do the same. So thanks for being on our show. Thanks for your time. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks, guys. Wow, that was so good. I, I'm i always inspired when I'm around Joe. I've um, been around him a few times, and um, I, he always surprises me with the amount of information that he knows and his ability to communicate it really succinctly. I'm just, I guess, in reflection, just starting off with that first part. I guess my mind is still a little bit blown about this 40-hour work week that um, in some ways is kind of arbitrary, or in some ways, you know, the world has evolved since that was created, and maybe it's time to rethink that. Um, Just as he's even talking about the four day work week or the uh, Thursday is a new Friday, the three day work week. I'm like, yeah, do, do I need to restructure things? Do I need to think about doing things a little bit differently to give myself some margin or even just to change how I'm living my life? You know, we talked about the weekend being like this slothful place maybe in his household. No, I'm just kidding. I think (laughs) that's his dirty little secret. Um, No, but it's true. I think uh, you just, you know, thinking about being on the couch and just lazying out or whatever. It's like, yeah, maybe if I did things differently that I wouldn't feel that way. So it's like a chain of events. So anyway, just my initial reaction um, to that was like, yeah, there's just, why are we doing things this way? And can we conceive of a different way of doing things? That's going to be more effective.
0: I think the, the, Man, you could go back and listen to the interview again and pull more out of it. Um, there's just one of the things that's crazy, uh, uh, you know, it's unassuming, I think, is probably a better word about what Joe. is. He's just kind of a normal guy. But as soon as he gets on. Like he's an average Joe? <laughs> oh, yeah. That just happened. <laughs> you punk. Mic drop. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's this unassuming guy that's like, he kind of sees things a certain way. And and he's able to take that information like you're saying succinctly, and it seems like he's just talking about things. But but it's like all of a sudden you realize you're drinking from a fire hose. Like wait 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 wait. Like what did you just say? You just broke a concept down in like 15 seconds. That is a big deal. Like you know that's a big deal.
1: I think what he said about curiosity is is right on about that. Is he seems to have a different kind of a curiosity about the way things are and why they are that it seems like for a lot of us, we just take them for granted. And maybe that's from his his work, and maybe it's, I know part of his life, he had a rough year in 2012 um, with cancer and some issues with his own family um, that he was having to deal with. At, and those kinds of things just cause you to look at things differently and to reevaluate the way that you're doing things. And so I just wonder uh, if that curiosity was fostered by some of those challenges that he went through, which makes me think about how I'm doing my life and the things that I'm doing. I'm like, I wanna have that kind of a curiosity, not just to take everything as it is at face value, but maybe to to think
0: about like, huh, I wonder why that is, or I wonder if there's a different way of doing this. Is this the best way? Yeah, I was wondering as he was talking at what point, and I and I almost asked this, but it um, it just didn't quite present itself. Like at what point did he just, just get overloaded with inside of his study and in, in this information and then go like, that's it, I'm switching. I gotta do it this way. Um, 'cause I what I know about him is that he he's he 's kind of rigid 's probably not the good word, but like very specific in his structure of of how he organizes his work and so like I mean we could call him you know, but the reality is is like unless it's <laughs> unless it 's pertinent or or like fits into a category of completely personal versus like business it 's not going to work like he's he 's very good with boundaries and just you 're just not going to talk to him on a Friday, for example which is probably not going to happen unless there's some random personal thing that attaches to it but so i was wondering like did he kind of start off looking at this from one direction or did he like kind of just follow his intuition and then get overloaded and go like nope this is dumb as he kind of put it as he was talking about it that like this seems so freaking arbitrary and people like joe you maybe have somebody in there in your life or know somebody in business that is just kind of a natural Systems organizer. It's like he just organizes thoughts and systems really well, and can put that out there where like you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm gonna do it that way. Like I'll do it that way.
1: Yeah, and I think that systems organization um, also seems like it causes him to look at how he's doing things and to ask questions of like, wait, is this the best way? So let me let me find more information about like what are the different ways that people do things. Where do I fit? I mean, that's kind of what that assessment that he was describing from his book was talking about, which, man, I don't know if he was... Well, okay, yes, he's trying to sell his book and he did a great job because I, <laughs> I want to I get that book and take that assessment and learn more about myself, especially when he was talking about like the different kinds of sprints that you can do. And I, I don't recall if he set this up well, but sprints being different ways of attacking tasks. Um, sprinting being like a focused time where you're intensely turning everything off. I think he did, he mentioned this turning everything off and just focusing on doing this task for a set period of time. Like when we were at a at Camp a couple of years ago, he had a number of these where he'd set a timer for 20 minutes, ask you to turn every electronic off and just focus on this one task for 20 minutes until you were completely done with it and get everything out. squeeze Squeeze the entire tube of toothpaste out. But people have different types of sprints that they can do. And knowing that about yourself, I think, can help you to maneuver through your life much more effectively and set yourself up to do what's best for you and what you need as opposed to finding yourself in these situations where you're struggling where you're doing things that like ah, why am i having trouble well maybe i just didn't know this about myself and i needed to structure things differently
0: right and i think for those of you out there that like you can tell as he was talking that this is geared for entrepreneurs. He's this book is um, he. That's who he kind of had in his mind, I think, to some extent, um, and when he was writing it. Um, but the reality is, is that a lot of this stuff crosses over to every everyday situations in work. And I think you know one of the implications of this whole thing is that as as people, as he said, he's just part of the conversation essentially with the four day work week. That there's going to become pressure to for the workforce. Probably to reevaluate the entire pers- this entire perspective, and I think one of the things that he talked about offline it was he was mentioning like he goes I really think this generation we will be this this whole five day work week Monday through Friday is over it's just a matter of a, of, of probably a few short years, and I think I I agree with him and to be totally transparent prior to talking about this I was not a I was not a party to this I, I saw I was like Thursday's a new Friday no it's not. Uh, how do you really feel (laughs) right um and i mean i i know joe well enough to know that he's not he's not just trying to quote unquote make money what he's trying to do is to be authentically efficient i think is what i would say like he wants to get stuff done he wants to be efficient about it he's a natural driver and in talking with him in that interview i was reminded about like this is what he's doing like and when he's looking at this, doing this research, that research was mind-blowing for me. Some of it was like, what? Like the whole thing with the cup and holding the attention mm-hmm. and even the micro uh, minute that these folks had to step That's back. That's crazy. It's one minute. I know. the. For me, it, it's like I'm a variety person, I think, too, um, to an extent. I mean, I need to be able to focus for a period of time, mm. but I can't, like, I need to move on. Like, I can't have... This sprint, as as what he calls it. And it's not just him. I mean, it's kind of the business world talks about that in a Sprint. I need to be focused in that, and then it needs to be done. It can't be like, I'm going to, like, he sat down to write that book for, what, like, three months or something? Oh, like April through August, so yeah. more than that. Yeah, okay. But but he's still focused, is my point, for these months. <laughs> right. Like Nate's not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no books coming from Nate's office. <laughs> not, not in that way. It'll be over a long period of time. It'll be a wonderful book and extreme. Anyway, um, but... That's, that's just, you know, he talks about the differences and that kind of thing. But as he was talking about that, I thought, oh yeah, that is, that is totally true. And that's something that you, that's a takeaway you can take right now, no matter who you are. Like if you're trying to be like, maybe you're a lot of us right now, a lot of people out there are doing side businesses. They're doing like, what can I kind of do to like supplement income and that kind of thing. And so maybe you're like, ah, I kind of need to do a website. I probably need to have something, you know, maybe you're an art person, you're trying to use Etsy or whatever. If you were to do something where it was like a sprint and to figure out kind of how you work best, you know, cause maybe you've got this great idea, but you're not really, you're kind of frustrated because this, all this is, is an idea. You keep almost doing something. You do a little bit and you get distracted. If you intentionally did even a 15 minute sprint, and that was something that was a wake up call during the last killing it camp is we did that, like you were just mentioning Aaron and I wrote an entire web page in that 15 minutes. Um, I would not have told you that I could do that. And so I would would not have been (laughs) there. Let's just be honest. When Nate gets focused, man, he kills it. And and I was, I I still do those because it was a wake-up call to me of how much could happen in 15 minutes. Because we ruminate on stuff so much and nothing happens. And it's like... If you honestly just took a 15-minute thing even a day and just did that in in like a week, I mean, you would have, like if you were building a website, for example, a lot of content, your website's up.
1: Yeah, and I think there are just a couple of things that I remember from that that are so helpful. Yeah, I'm the same way too. I I will put on some upbeat music to kind of keep my my blood flowing, Uh, just instrumental stuff. If you're curious, uh, trap instrumental beats is my preferred go-to and there's a it's got to have a purpose to it. It's like, okay, I'm going to write a web page or I'm going to brainstorm ideas or I'm going to narrow down the ideas to one and then maybe develop a strategy for it or whatever. It can't just be I'm going to sit down and work whatever for 15 minutes. It needs to be focused with like what's my purpose of this and work towards that purpose. But yeah, that I think just taking time to write that stuff down, I think, is the other piece that was so important. Because when it's in your head and you're thinking about it, all kinds of rumination can happen. It's like there's no accountability. But when you've got a certain amount of time and you're actually sitting down and writing something down, you can see where, what you've done in that amount of time. And if you just have, like, a, a sentence or two and it's been, like, 10 of the 15 minutes, you're doing something wrong. Um, or you're just not at the stage. Like, your purpose is, is incorrect for this sprint. So writing stuff down can help you to actually like propel you forward and get that stuff out of your brain, hold you accountable to doing something with it, which I know Joe is all about that. He's all as an Enneagram three achiever driver. He is trying to unlock your potential, which I love that you shared that, Nate, because it's like, um, you know, that potential is inside of you. And that's why I love being around you is because I, I know that when you get into that space, it comes gushing out and all of us. All of you have that potential when when things are kind of in, uh, lined up correctly.
0: Right. And I think it sounds like that assessment is going to be pretty interesting. It seems like uh, you could actually discern quite a bit from it. And I know that um, essentially when you uh, – the whole point of, what, of like how Joe operates is like there has to be a significant result or it's a waste of his time. So I trust that about that kind of up front because that's just kind of how he is. Um and that kind of kind of was a reminder for me, too. I mean, literally, we're doing this podcast because of Joe. <laughs> yeah,
1: literally. Actually, yeah, we went to the Camp. He was he was talking about podcasting. I remember he we went through, like, a I don't know, 45-minute thing with slides on podcasting. And it was like, okay, okay, we get it. We need to do our podcast. And then, I don't know what it was like a year later, there, here we are.
0: Yeah, 50-something episodes. Yeah. So um, very, super interesting. I think one of the things that drew me in, and I think it might be helpful for you, for you guys, is that there's research with this stuff. And the reason why, let me give you a tiny example. We had this whole thing called a pandemic, COVID, right? What was the natural reaction that happened out of that? Everybody is doing telecommuting, doing telehealth, everybody's staying home, probably you have done a majority of your work and your job at your house. And now your employer's like, so you want to come back over You want to come back? And a lot of you totally do, but guess what? You found out you kind of don't. You like being at home a little bit. You yikey, right? So, so. you like staying in the sweatpants. <laughs> so, right. Even if you're on Zoom and then you forget that you're having home. Yeah, and right. then you actually don't stand up. Yeah. And the mirror behind you show. Yeah. Anyway. So that never happened to me. And that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Personal <laughs> confessions of Nathan Hopkins. So uh yeah. But what does that say? What am I trying to get at? What I'm trying to get at is is that we had a significant thing happen. Everybody prior to that, the businesses would have said, no, we don't want you at home because you're going to be a lazy turd and you're not going to get anything done. And now we found out like, no, that's not true. Actually, you're just as efficient and sometimes better. But we do like to be around folks. We do need that connection. So now there's this weird amalgamation thing that's happening, but there was a lot of stress that caused that. I think everybody's really open right now. And I think Joe's book's pretty apropos to like, we're we, hey, we just learned we can shift things. Watch this. You want to think that's, because there's the evidence that supports the efficiency on this, I think is the slingshot.
1: Yeah, and I would just like to say amalgam and apropos, Dang, you unlock Nathan's potential and all of a sudden he
0: gets so like vocabulary. Vocabularious. Yes, we're using that word for the rest of our life. Vocabularious.
1: But no, you're that's a great use of that. I, I think you're absolutely right. And and hopefully for those of you that are out there, if you listen to the interview and you got some ideas about like, hey, maybe this can be really helpful for um just causing me to rethink my life just to be some outside force that can come in and shake up what i've been doing if anything else it just gets me to rethink what i'm doing to see that maybe i am already being very efficient and productive or um, at best maybe there's something i can be doing differently to make my life easier i mean i even love lovely said about slowing down to boost productivity that just sounds better to me being slower and being more effective more productive is like wow so i can like put my feet up on the coffee table and have a drink and work is getting done. It's kind of like, yeah, a little bit. So anyway, um, I, I just want to give a shout out to Joe. Thank you again for being on our show. Um, thank you guys for listening to the, the interview. Um, we lo- we want to have people on the show. that are going to help us do things better differently, give us information um, to live our lives in healthy ways. And even though Joe is in this like entrepreneurial space,
0: it's always appropriate and always helpful so thanks for listening to his interview. The truth is everybody works, right? Everybody works. So at the end of the day, this is just about what, what makes things more productive and efficient. You know, people want to say, all right, well, it is true that if you give people an out and you give them stuff, they will have a tendency to not do anything. <laughs> like, you know, that's just human nature. But we don't want to do that. And we, want, we do want to work. And so, and we do benefit from that. And so this is just a way to go, hey, let's honor this fact. Let's actually partner with our natural inclinations and let's get way more efficient and just agree that we have those and not try to shove a bunch of squares into some octagons and circles into some ovals and try to understand who we are. I, I'm really hopeful about that assessment. I think that, I think it could be really helpful to try to just kind of agree with like, oh yeah, that's probably totally me because then you can just agree with it and move on so I really appreciate Joe coming on. I think that we will see him in just a few weeks, maybe even a couple, I don't know, um, for killing a can. So hopefully that all works out. And Joe, thanks again for showing up and telling us all about it. And all of you have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt, and you'll get nine weeks worth of customized practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life.